Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. Hello and welcome to a PhD Should Reads episode 20. Now to get out of the way first, if the if the podcast was a human being, 20 years of age, this one has taken a bit more effort than the 18 and next month's 21, very easy. But at 20 years of age, the podcast would no longer have access to most services available to young people in the UK. It's now officially classified as an adult and will have to go through all adult channels should it have some sort of social problem so good for good for the podcast i mean also kind of unfortunate for the podcast if we need um, some that's, help that's very true that's very true <laughs> and the voice you hear the dear evan hansen survivor rodrigo cocting <laughs> how are you uh you know just going through the ptsd of having been to toronto international film festival it was a bit different this year because of covid but one mm. of the movies that we did get to see was what you just mentioned dear evan hansen but i also saw dune which was fun mm. Did you have so a favorite? You, was, was you it win you? some, you lose some. Uh, my favorite this year was this French movie called Titan, which I think is a French word for titanium. Right. Uh, it is a surreal kind of, I don't know, thriller slash... It, it, it's a movie on like... It's rare when you go watch a movie and you're surprised, especially mm-hmm. because movies fall broadly in these, you know dramas that are meant to have some oscar hype or like the big blockbusters they're all kind of structured in one way or another but titan was definitely something like i I had no idea what was going to happen in the next scene so that was great mental note made i realized the green knight is finally available to watch here in the uk haven't watched it yet but i will one day maybe christmas in those two weeks off i get for christmas i'll just sit in my living room not move, catch up on all the things I, I haven't. Do your own uh, Daniel International Film Festival. Yes, <laughs> just for me. I'll write my own own reviews <laughs> and uh, I'll have a good time. Speaking of writing my own reviews, I, in my wisdom, have started to use the, the podcast Twitter account more. And uh, thus, after the conversation we had last month, PhD Student Watches is now something that I have coined and thus they are my short twitter-based opinions on things i've viewed mostly episodes of what if because what if is finished now and i guess spoilers for my opinions of what if i think it's one of the weakest marvel projects in a long time i just interesting like it started off it's used in the first two right yeah and what were your thoughts before i complain it just kind of felt like that each episode takes almost so much time setting up the premise and then the length of it isn't extensive either mm-hmm. that it's it's almost like the amount of time that you get to enjoy the main cool thing isn't long enough to justify the investment of it like the the setup the premise is interesting mm-hmm. but the payoff i guess be ends up being less so but i'm i i i'm 
into it right now. So I'm going to watch the rest of them still and see kind of where I land and see if I agree with your assertion. Um, but it also, like, I feel like I mentioned this before, where it kind of feels like they're creating like an Avengers situation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I've seen some implication on Twitter without knowing specifically that that's kind of where they head. And so I'm wondering if that is the reality, like what comes next? Like, what are they going to do with these characters? Mm -hmm, Will mm -hmm. they still like, you know, after the Doctor Strange and the Spider-Man movie and like this thing coming up where it looks like the multiverses are kind of going to be a little bit more open or open briefly. I wonder if suddenly these characters will have a bigger payoff in the future than they do in their individual episodes where it is relatively short and not Mm -hmm. often able to deliver. Yeah. I mean, that echoes some of my concerns. The fact that the episodes are 30 minutes long is a problem Mm -hmm. because, yeah, they spend, what, 15, 20 minutes of the episode being like, look what's different. Oh, Peggy Mm -hmm. Carter is Captain America or, in the case of the second one, T'Challa is Star-Lord. And and then it's about five minutes of, oh, we've, for the T'Challa one, for instance, we're going to the collector to to steal, I can't even remember, something. And and then it ends, usually with some sort of action scene, which is fine, you know, that's what Marvel, Marvel does. But... I think if they were an hour long, or maybe even 45 minutes, you could still have all the setup and a bit more of a payoff, rather than yeah. all setup, no payoff. Um, mm. And I think that's a problem that continues through all nine. I always think a lot of the episodes, I just don't care about what the things are. Mm-hmm. For example, the first one, and maybe the first two, are just sort of like, we've taken one character and swapped them with a different one, and then that's yeah. a bit different. For the first one, I think that's okay, because Peggy Carter has a role in the Captain America story to begin with. The T'Challa one is fine because it makes... He is a totally different Star-Lord to the Star-Lord that we knew. But, for example, there's a Thor episode midway through. It's, it's what if Thor was an only child? And it's like... Mm-hmm. You've got, what, 20-odd movies now to draw from in creating alternate stories. And that's what you pick? If yeah. Thor didn't have Loki as a brother... Anything else? I wonder why that was the choice, yeah. I mean... I don't know. There's the zombies one, for instance. Okay, that's a bit different, but even there, the actual... like that's Also, that's very heavily just set up with a tiny bit of payoff. Um, Mm -hmm. And I still have the issue... I think the the best cast members are the cast members that aren't in the MCU in real life. It's the people that are trained to do voice acting Bucky Barnes you've watched that episode now I think you know credit to Sebastian Stan for giving it a try try a bit better I think room for improvement Um, yeah I mean it's kind of like voice acting or stunt actors right like they are masters of their Mm -hmm. trade I don't know that we should just assume that everyone can be interchangeable likewise I wouldn't expect a voice actor to be able to go on screen and be able to do some of the nuances that physical acting requires so I, I yeah I agree I, I mean, I think it's just for the sole purpose of being able to throw a name onto the credits of saying, like, hey, this was Sebastian Stan. It does make you wonder why some people, whether it was, it must be some contractual thing, because obviously some of the big hitters are in it, like Chris Hemsworth, Mark Ruffalo, but others aren't. Your Robert Downey Jr., your Chris Evans, and it's like, well, why? I get a lot of the smaller people, relatively, mm-hmm. like your Sebastian Stan, etc. Paul Rudd is in one of them. Um idea i don't know it's just confusing to me as to why some people might say yes and some might not whether they even asked as well 
But yeah. Yeah, I mean I don't know. That's what if we encroach ever closer now. Next month it'll be it'll be Eternals. I don't know what the release date for Eternals is. Will it be before or after? We uh we will probably record usually we do it at the start of the month. Eternals. Let's have a look mm-hmm. on Google. Um Well it says there the twenty fourth of October. I thought it was out in November. Yeah, I think it was mentally November for me, so maybe it's down there it says ah November fifth, November fifth. So that's probably before we end up chatting. So I'm probably going to see it early on, if not day one. So I would imagine there was a. I mean, Bond has come out this month, and I was and I, so I went to see it first weekend. But it was a mm-hmm. three hour long film. They're still doing midnight showings. It's like I three hours at midnight. That's too much for me. <laughs> and we come back at three in the morning. But Bond was good too. Um, that's my brief opinion on that it was good (laughs) for a Bond film yeah I mean we kind of chatted a bit Mm -hmm. about it offline but definitely a good Bond film and so it's like if you don't like Bond films I don't think this movie is going to be the one that convinces you if you like Bond films I think you have a lot to enjoy out of this right absolutely I mean it's a Bond film for for better and for worse I think we discussed previously but that's the end of hashtag PSH student watches (laughs) <laughs> for this month and into PSA Student Reads you can follow the show on Twitter at PSA Student Reads recommend it to your friends your enemies anyone just people in the street you're walking along listening to it and you see a person without headphones on like I can improve your commute sir or madam listen to this and give them some headphones and the podcast recommendation tonally uh, my side of the podcast continues with Sex Criminals uh, volumes 3 and 4 by Matt Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. Elizabeth Brightweiser assists on the colouring in, in one issue, chapter 17. Um, you may recognise her name from previous episodes, but we'll get to her when we get to issue 17 because it's relatively important. Volume 3, Three Way, nope, Three the Hard Way, was published by Image Comics on the 15th of June 2016. And we start the volume with the focus being on a man we have never met before. We have no idea who he is. Uh, he has a relatively simple life. He works at a care home. And in between that, he cares for his mother. But once she's gone to bed, we're informed that when she is asleep, she's a very heavy sleeper. He has the uh, night to himself. Um, being such criminals is obviously quite important. Uh, this man, we then learn, is Douglas D. Douglas. And he is one of the names that Susie and John, our main characters, and... Uh, and Dr. Anna Kincaid, a.k.a. previous porn star Jasmine St. Cocaine, have managed to extract from the Compass, the device from the, the sex police. Um, but before we find out what uh, this sort of our main trio are going to do with this information, we have to touch base with all of our other major players. So it turns out that John's therapist, Dave, is having an affair with Myrtle Spurge, the head of the sex police. Um, and during their, their, their brief romance uh, in the bedroom uh, Dave catches Myrtle looking through his patient notes obviously a big a big no-no Robert Rainbow and Rachel are friends of John and Susie and they're now a full-time couple but are experiencing their own albeit more uh, down-to-earth normal issues uh, we learned from the first volume that Rachel was the the slut of the school, as deemed by by the other pupils. Um, and so she's a lot more sexually adventurous than, than Robert, and this is causing uh, a bit of a rift between them, as he, as he puts it himself, is quite uh, naive when it comes to, to, to sexual partners. 
Um, John and Susie reveal that they use their powers to rob banks um, because uh, Anna Kincaid was concerned. How is, how are they going to bankroll this trip to Miami where where Douglas lives? Like, oh, don't worry about it. We have loads of money. We rob banks using our uh, our sex based time stopping powers. She obviously not very happy about this and wants no part of it. Kicks her kicks them out of her office. They go to Miami anyway. Um, and this is the first mention I want to call out of uh, Chip Zdarsky and his art because there's a like a six-panel grid of an introduction to Miami, and one of these is very clearly Horatio Kane from CSI Miami. And uh, as someone whose guilty pleasure is CSI in all forms, this this was spoken directly to me. This gingerhead man with sunglasses, like ah yes, I know who that is. Thank you, Chip. Um, anyway, they arrive to Miami. They uh, they, they stop time and they make their way to Douglas D. Douglas's home. And here we're introduced to probably the most interesting of the uh, semen-based powers that we have uh, experienced thus far. Kimiko the Cum Angel. Um, as the this is revealed, basically it's probably what you would expect. It, um, but rather than... I say your Judeo-Christian angel. This is more of a an anime-themed uh, angel. Uh, Douglas C. Douglas. He has to wear this special sort of uh, mask that puts him puts him in the right mindset to produce this uh, phantom. I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, as issue number one wraps up, we get the confirmation of what we expected that Murta is just using uh, Dave and their affair to get to get notes on 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 John. Um, it also turns out that Kimiko is less of an angel, more of a demon. When she lifts up her, her skirt, a mass of tentacles come bursting out, and thus uh, John and Susie end up running around Douglas's house uh, um, uh, to, to hide from, from this sort of entity as Myrtle and the sex police uh, are, are rooting through Dave's notes. Basically, Myrtle has used Dave to make her... Finish climax. Time has stopped, and thus the sex police can go in, tear through all of uh, Dave's notes and stuff without without him ever even knowing. Um, unfortunately, what they're looking for, the information on John, is must be in Dave's office rather than in his home. We also learn that uh, Badal, who is the like the sort of ninja-dressed member of the sex criminals and the owner of the banking corporation in which. John used to work, and the bus driver are in some sort of uh, relationship, so that's good for them. Although mixing work and pleasure is often a mistake, and that will be a problem later. Robert Rainbow is now suffering from nightmares due to this, I guess, sexual rift between him and uh, Rachel. Uh, these nightmares are, of course, sexual in nature, and they are a sight to behold. What starts off as just uh, him and Rachel having a good time, soon becomes uh, some sort of Rachel-focused orgy. But then we change from just having normal proportioned men to more interesting. For example, there is a penis man who also has a penis. Or there is a man who has a penis for a mouth. Sex criminals, everybody. Normal things. <laughs> uh, John and Susie have made their way to the basement of Douglas's house uh, in order to hide from Kimiko and uh, her tentacles. There they find some sort of sex toy totem. Um, as interesting this is, Susie is 
worrying that she has no special powers that go with her time-stopping abilities. You know, uh, Douglas can make this come angel. Uh, Jasmine Sinker Kane, uh, Dr. Anakin Cage, she turns into some sort of sex ghost. John's penis lights up at the end. She does nothing. But before they can have really have any time to think about it, uh, Kimiko bursts through the door. But luckily, Susie manages to electrocute it and they escape Miami, head back to Kincaid to grovel, say they were sorry, she was right, Robin Banks is wrong. Myrtle Spurge, continuing her quest for patient information on John, goes to visit Dave at work. But before we get any of that, the entire next issue is focused on Alex Ambrose, a brand new character and member of the Six Criminals, she realises at a relatively young age that she is asexual. She tries with boys, she tries with girls, nothing. She just It's not for her, and that's fine. But this wouldn't be sex criminals if she didn't have some sort of otherworldly power. Um, and instead of having this power from sexual gratification, it instead comes from base jumping. Um, she doesn't need a parachute, however... Uh, when she hits the ground, she is able to manipulate it in some way uh, to cushion her fall, and uh, this occurs whatever the material it's made from. So we see the first time that she jumps from the top of a massive skyscraper all the way down to the ground, absolutely fine. Of course, there's the, the time-stopping side ability that comes with all of the people in, in Sex Criminals. Um... Importantly, she also knows who Douglas is, so they're both Miami-based, and she is able to communicate directly with Kimiko the Cum Angel, whereas John and Susie, uh, it was it was legible to us as the reader, but incomprehensible babble to uh, our main protagonists. It's important to work at, uh, point out that Douglas here, whilst Kimiko is out and about, uh, is... Uh, sort of in some sort of comatose state so they can't he can't be spoken to whilst whilst this come angel is is flying about as the third volume comes to an end the lives of our characters are are changing somewhat so dave has now realized that myrtle has been somehow been able to steal john's patient files right under his nose without him ever realizing robert's insecurities about sex have come to a head and this has resulted in uh, him and rachel going their their separate ways for the time being and um, John, who has now been working for or with um, Dr. Kincaid, uh, because uh, uh, um, because well, he lost he, he quit his job at the bank because of the whole bank robbing uh, shenanigans. He's also trying to start out as an actor, um, but during the, in, during this doubt, this in between period, he's sort of uh, Dr. Kincaid's uh, admin assistant um, because of. Uh, John's sexual past with, with her, that being that she was the, the porn star that he lost his masturbatorial virginity to, I guess. Um, uh, Susie and John have been making jokes at, at her expense uh, over text. She finds out and thus goes to meet Susie in the quiet, in her glowing spectral form, and they to have a bit of a chat. Um, probably then what uh, follows is one of my favourite bits of this volume and probably one of my favourite bits of Sex Criminals as a whole. Instead of seeing the two characters argue, we then just get drawings of Chip Zdarsky and Matt Fraction having a chat about how important this scene is, about you know how bullying people or even making fun of people just because of their, their sexual preferences and past is, is 
that's that's not that's unacceptable and how you know Matt wants to write this scene but he can't figure out how he wants to make sure it comes across correct but not preachy and not that it's just bestowing their values onto the characters etc um they talk about how important it is to get to get these these opinions out there that that sex isn't something to be ashamed of. You know, you could have one sexual partner your entire life. You could have 500. It doesn't really matter. Who cares? As long as you're happy, mm-hmm. everyone else should be happy too. Um, so this is obviously done in a very tongue-in-cheek manner because it's just asking Matt Fraction. Um, it's just different. We only get one panel of this argument. The rest of it is just Chip and Matt having a chat. At the end, it ends... Um, with 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 Chip suggesting that instead of drawing and uh, uh, writing out this this argument, we could, they could just draw in this conversation. To which Matt replies, "Is that not a bit masturbatory?" And then we get a full page of Matt acting as some sort of bench with Chip Zdarsky sat on top of him, typing out this conversation. That is the, that is the the tongue in cheek tone we expect with uh, with sex criminals, even when the uh, topic is relatively serious. Um, but back to sex criminals reality, I suppose. In the final pages, Kincaid, John, Susie and Dave are all in John and Susie's flat discussing the loss of John's personal information to Myrtle Spurge. And there's a knock at the door and a fist comes flying through, knocking John square in the face, knocking him out. That's where volume 4, 4G, picks up. Of course, again, published by Image Comics on the 27th of September 2017. For those of you who are very date-based, that is the biggest gap between between volumes. Um, but that's not surprising because volume four is also the biggest volume so far. Not by much. They're all still pretty thin volumes, but it is the, the biggest volume. Um, it continues the pattern of the even number volumes being somewhat more dour, uh, being a bit more serious in tone. But... That fist, that fist belonged to Doug, and we pick up in a diner where Alex and Doug are are telling John that he has no idea what he's doing, messing with Myrtle and the sex police, and that their meddling is only going to make things worse for all of the people that have uh, sex-based powers. John, very upset by this, he storms out, leaving Susie to chase after him, which, unsurprisingly, she doesn't like. Um, She proposes that they... You know, they, they stop, they, they don't rob banks anymore, they just live a normal couple's life away from committing, away from being sex criminals. They just be normal people with normal lives and that they should perhaps try to work out some goals that they can have both personally and as a couple. John agrees and then yeah, they hope to go about their normal lives. But unfortunately, Myrtle isn't done with them. She calls the, the university at which Dr Kincaid works and informs them of her previous employment. And this unfortunately results in her administrative, uh, her being placed on administrative leave, which of course she is not very happy about. Next up is issue 17, coloured predominantly by Elizabeth Brightweiser. You may have heard her before because of her work with Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. She's usually the colourist they employ. She was the colourist on The Fade Out, but importantly, she is the colourist on Criminal. Sex criminals, criminal, relatively similar names, and thus this issue 17 is basically half a criminal issue. It's drawn like criminals, so again, that's another... It, the art is still done by Chip Zdarsky, but he's very much mimicking what Sean Phillips does, and it, this issue highlights mm-hmm. both 
how good Chip Zdarsky is and how important a colourist is in giving the overall tone and vibe and look of a book. Because if I was given this, I'd be like, oh, it's a bit bright to be a criminal book, but it does look like like a criminal book, which is which is good. Um, it's very it's written in a criminal esque way, and it's all from Myrtle's perspective. She is on the hunt for Todd Stubacker, who is another individual out there on uh, planet Earth who has uh, sexed powers, uh, who and his sexual preference is uh, is getting stamped on in some way. We learn that all of these people that have sex powers are, according to her anyway, Myrtle Spurge, had some form of childhood issue that led to them becoming some sort of deviant, a sex criminal. In that case, he realised at a young age that, oh, if he, he got some sort of gratification by Spectre, hello, this is my cat, making her first appearance on a picture she didn't read. Spectre, do you have anything to say? No. <laughs> She enjoyed the smell of sex criminals uh, a considerable amount uh, earlier today, as it was sat on my uh, on my chair. Um, but anyway, sex criminals, Myrtle Spurge. Uh, so Todd here, he really enjoyed the affection he got from his mother when his mother accidentally stepped on one of his toys and broke it. So eventually, he started to put toys in places where they would get stood on, they would break, and she would comfort him. After a while, this I guess like a bit like being a serial killer. This this no longer provides the, the the gratification, and so he starts putting his hand out so his hand gets stood on, etc. As he's grown up, this has continued. So he would accidentally drop his groceries on the street, and oh no, his hand accidentally got got in the way. Um, this has led him to create these sort of sexual totems which he can then control. Um, it's unclear whether he controls them with his mind or whether they have their sort of own sentience whilst in in uh, the quiet, but they are linked together. He makes these these totems. They're structured sort of like the, uh, the cortical homunculi, in case you've have no idea what those words mean. It's those figures you occasionally see where it's the human body, but instead of being proportioned like a normal human body, they're proportioned based on the number of nerves in each in each system. So they have massive lips, they have giant hands, giant feet, etc. Um, these ones also have massive penises as well. So they're cortical homunculi plus giant penis. And Todd gets his, uh, he's able to enter the quiet when these homunculi get, get destroyed or at least damaged in, in some way. We saw one actually uh, in volume three very briefly when Rachel stood on one in, in a shopping mall and we, you know, she picks it up, puts it in the bin, thinks nothing of it. And now we see, oh, it's all, all, it's all tied together in this one big, big universe. I don't, I'm not sure if it's mentioned, but clearly wherever, uh, John and uh, Susie live. That's clearly a, 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 a hot spot for people with, with sex-based powers. They both live there. Anakin Cage's not too far away. 100%. Myrtle Spurgeon, the three members of the Sex Police, they're all there. Really, it's just Alex and uh, Douglas off in Miami that are the two the two uh, outliers. Unfortunately for Todd, uh, Myrtle Spurgeon and the Sex Police do track him down and uh, they uh, they punish him somewhat. They say that they've taken control of his phone and they've put some data on there that basically will ruin his his career should should he continue to uh, 
uses his six space powers. After the six police leave, Todd runs into John, um, but uh, Todd then makes a run for it, thinking he's one of them. But the fact that John is there is a problem in itself, because John had made this promise to Susie that he would put all this myrtle and sex criminal stuff behind him, and clearly he hasn't. What follows is issue 18, and this is very much a relationship-focused issue. So, Dr. Kincaid, having been put on administrative leave, needs money. Um, and so ends up going to a Comporn convention as uh, her old alter ego, Jasmine St. Cocaine. Once she's there, she realises that this she's far beyond this now. You know, she spent a good good number of years as, a, as an academic. This, the porn side of her life is is over is she doesn't want to be dredged back in back into that past so uh she reaches out to to dave uh, john's um therapist and 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 they they agree to go on a date um robert brings Rachel's stuff back and they have a heart to heart about why uh, their relationship fell apart about how robert's own insecurities fed into that and had basically was the cause of all that happening and his honesty to her allows them to, to, to heal and, and keep their relationship keep their relationship going. John and Susie, however, so John keeps buying Susie expensive sexual gifts, your fancy lingeries, your things to use in, in, in the bedroom and such. At first, Susie is pleased, oh this is great. John's doing nice things, we're we're a normal couple, good. But after talking with Rachel about how expensive some of these items are, the seed of doubt is sown in her mind that actually maybe he's using his powers again to 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 steal these items rather than than buy them. Because John, being working for uh, Dr. Kincaid as his assistant and being a failed actor, aren't the most uh, well-paying jobs. Um, luckily, so she just comes out and asks him why. Where where's all this stuff coming from? Are you sealing it? And she also adds that it's starting to make her feel a little bit objectified because all the stuff that he buys is for her to wear or for her to do, whereas John says the same. Um, John, you know, he holds his hands up. That was a unintentional mistake. He was one. He's not stealing these things, so that's good. He's just he's just buying them. Um, but he does realise that this is quite an expensive endeavour and it can't go on forever. But the reason he's doing it is to put in effort, so much effort, into their relationship that it'll make Susie want him more. Uh, he quotes the, the cheap trick hit, I want you to want me. Um, that's that's his whole goal here. He wants her to want him more. And his reasoning is, oh, if I buy these nice things for her, she'll want me more, etc. Um so their relationship is fine. They're all on good footings. But then these sentient sex totems show up in their house. And that's where the it all falls apart. Because if these sex totems are in, are in their house, it's pretty clear that John has not given up searching for Myrtle Spurge and trying to stop the uh, sex police. So these living totems, they're calling out to John and Susie to go to this fairground in, in their city. Susie is absolutely furious about this not only did did john break this promise he lied by not telling her that that uh, that he was doing so a uh, in her in her words a lie by omission uh, truth by omission is 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 still a lie but as they so they find todd at this fairground but as they approach todd the the bus driver member of the sex police drives past 
and this unfortunately causes him to, to run off again. It turns out that the big corporation that Alex works for, touching back in uh, with her, is receiving a pitch for a new member for a new uh, piece of technology that would allow big tech companies to uh, control the lives of their users via their their browsing history, sort of like super cookies, I suppose. If you instead of just getting, uh, oh, would you like to to buy this or view this website, they'll know everything about you if they use this this technology that he is pitching. The totally random user that they showed as an example is, funnily enough, John. Oh, Spectre clearly wants to be a part of this 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 podcast this month. Uh, uh, for people that can't see, Look which is yeah, exactly. For people if that can't see, which is everyone, she, is, she was on my shoulders, and now I'm concerned that she's going to end this uh, Google Meets call with her with her feet. But she's gone for now. So, Sex Criminals, <laughs> Volume Four. This pitch is not just a pitch; it's a warning to Alex, because um, obviously these sex these sex police they know from their their compass devices, who all the people are with with the sex-based powers. So therefore, they must know that whilst Alex's powers aren't sex-based, she is able to enter the quiet like like everybody else, and thus they are keeping tabs on her too. So Alex gets in touch with Doug. She says that they owe John an apology. The sex police do need to be stopped, and they need to do it soon. Things for Dave and Dr. Kincaid are going great. Uh, they've had a first successful date and they're now in some sort of relationship, but things aren't so great for Rachel, who has now found herself surprisingly pregnant. Um, then she either has some sort of miscarriage or an abortion. That w- wasn't quite clear to me. She is sort of curled up in pain on her bed. She's trying to reach out to Susie and is uh, obviously very emotionally da- hurt by this. It just wasn't clear because it seemed how one panel she found out she was pregnant and then the next panel she wasn't pregnant anymore. So that would suggest, I guess, some sort of abortion. But whatever has happened there, she's very upset by it. She goes to talk to Susie. Um, Susie and John, their relationship has also fallen apart again. Um, They have sex for one final time, but when they enter the quiet, they go their separate ways. Um, The book ends after some time has passed. We know this because John now has a beard. And Alex, John and Doug uh, meet up in the same diner they were in before to discuss taking down Myrtle Spurge and the Sex Police. I will say Volume 4 was my least favourite so far. It's not bad. I'm not saying that at all. You know, there's six volumes. One of them has to be the worst. It's probably going to be this one. Primarily because it covered familiar ground that we've had before. In Volume 2, John and Susie had a bit of a breakup. But then they got back together. As the two main characters, I would presume that they're probably going to get back together again. I mean, it would be more interesting if they don't, but the fact that their powers are quite, you know, they they are tied together uh, quite substantially. Um, so I'd expect them, at least, I can't imagine the next two volumes are never going to meet again. And that would be, a, that'd be a, a different, sure, but highly unlikely, I think. But it's that it's that interesting that I'm looking forward to the next volume to see if they do get back together. Admittedly, the cover of volume six is them kissing, but perhaps it's just some sort of, just some sort of kiss to, uh, so you know, to get time to stop so they can go off and do, you know, a kiss of necessity rather than of, mm-hmm. uh, of romance. But we'll oh, find that out next month, November. Look forward to Sex Criminals, volumes five and six, the final two. 
and we'll find out how it all wraps up. Ah, sex criminals. I think this one was easier to... Uh, uh-huh. Or now all of the, the... You know, I decided... I settled on the quiet. There was no mention of come world here. Come pass only got a brief mention every once in a while. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, Kimiko the come angel is a bit of a... A bit of a... A bit of a... Uh, an experience. But she's also barely in the book. So only gets some brief mentionings. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the journey yeah. when you're... I feel sex more sexually awakened. <laughs> <laughs> there you go you know that's con- that's matt fraction and chip starsky's contribution absolutely to, what about you have you what uh i hear crimes are afoot maybe not necessarily sex-based yeah this uh weekend i finally went into the dc world i did not stray far from my um Ed Brubaker kind of crime-driven stories that I enjoy reading. I finally started uh, cracking open my collection of Gotham Central books. I am now only realizing as I'm saying this that Gotham Central <laughs> is also the name of the comic book store where I bought these ones. And I've now, like, just figuring out that that's mm. what the reference was. Like, I always obviously knew that Gotham was a reference to Batman, but now I'm just realizing that Gotham Central is a reference to the police force in Gotham <laughs> slash in this book. Cool. I read the first volume that encompasses, I think, like the first 11 or so issues of this book. It's actually several smaller story arcs. Um, they do their best to kind of pivot the point of view from the variety of characters that you're introduced. Uh, the writing is handled by mm-hmm. Ed Brubaker and uh, Greg Rucka. Both very talented writers. Uh, Pencils are usually done by Michael Lark, ink by Michael Lark. There's there's a variety of uh, colorists. Um, But yeah, like really great stuff. Uh, The first book in the line of duty is a two issue Mm. arc that uh, starts off with our main character, I would say, Marcus Driver and his partner, Charlie Fields, following up on a lead that they feel like is unlikely to help them find this 14 year old girl that has been kidnapped. Uh, they knock on the door, they're doing their standard police work, and then the person that opens the door ends up being oh. Mr. Freeze. And he is questioning as to who has revealed where he was located, and they're very, like, they're trying to explain that, I mean, there's conflict <laughs> happening, they're not just having a conversation at this point, they've all taken cover, they're aiming at each other, but while they're doing this, they're they're having this conversation. And uh, Mr. Freeze is trying to find out. The detectives are saying that obviously no one told them that he was there. They're, they're, they're just mm-hmm. like they were following up a different lead because if they were going to go after Mr. Freeze, they would obviously come with backup. And you can see exactly why because Mr. Freeze makes <laughs> quick work of them. He freezes uh, Charlie Fields and then Ooh. literally snaps him in half, which is one of the most gruesome, I guess, uses of his freezing power that I've seen. Um,. The fallout of this involves Driver being informed by, you know, even the commissioner that... The commissioner at this point, by the way, is not um, Gordon. I don't know exactly where this is set within the DC universe. I was kind of surprised at that part. It's some guy named Mike Akins, I think. And they have this conversation about Batman. You know, uh, Driver is very opposed to calling in Batman. He wants to solve this Mm -hmm. in-house. You get to see some of the other people, the major crimes unit for Gotham City, the Lieutenant Probson, Captain Maggie Sawyer. They have a bit of conflict there, you know, like 
Sawyer is is wondering if if Propson has any animosity towards her in terms of her being mm-hmm. young or being a woman. Like it it is. Uh, there you have Renee Montoya, who I guess later went on to the question. Be, yeah, the question. The question, I think. Yeah, and then you also have Crispus Allen, who I think later went on to be the Spectre, from right. what I can tell. So it's like a variety of characters that I guess were popular enough to then become more involved in, in the the DC universe but this is kind of my first introduction to many of I'll them. Say, I'm surprised um, I'm surprised Mr. The, Freeze the second... lives in a normal house. You would have thought <laughs> Yeah, it's weird because it's just like a <laughs> shitty apartment building and they knock on the door and he's in there. Like obviously he's hiding there that's not where he lives, but it, it was very unexpected to see kind of like the mm-hmm. more pulpy crime noir world interacting with like the more high level Batman world and I think that is the main thesis of the book like that is what they they search to explore kind of these intersections with, with the superheroics and the the base level criminality that Gotham that a city like Gotham City would have um the second the second issue of this book is the conclusion of in the line of duty right. the story that we started with and it involves them kind of exploring like what they know there's a throwaway line in the first part about talking uh, about like the higher ups or like the education that people receive and that becomes uh, important later on um they explore a little bit about how uh, is it dr freeze mr freeze yeah his, i guess mr freeze i don't know you would have thought school. he must yeah, have or whatever. quite far in academia if he's able to uh to uh <laughs> you talk i will google it in the in the in the side yeah there you go it, it is mr freeze as far as i can tell i don't know if he has a doctorate or not but they talk about how he can't live without his suit how he his suit so it's diamonds, it's it's mr uh, freeze but he is dr victor fries I think you could go with Dr. Freeze. You know, if Dr. Evil has taught us anything that you don't go to whatever years of uh, medical school just to be called a Mr. Freeze. Unless he, right? like unless he was a, a medical doctor and he progressed all the way to consultant where you, you, you lose the, the, the Dr. Monica and just become a Mr. again. Oh, there you go. I don't know. Maybe that's been his path. I mean, how many people... I mean, it would make sense. Yeah, he's trying to, field, uh, right? you know, cure his wife that it would make sense he is a medical doctor after all. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's another uh, story worth exploring. Like, let's start a, a separate, not Gotham yeah. Central, but like Gotham MD or something, and exploring the the medical world of Gotham. But anyways, like, the last thing that they know is that he strikes to pe- hurt people emotionally. And between all these clues and then what was stated earlier that he had this line about uh, education, they know that the target is likely to be Gotham State University. The arc is resolved very quickly as soon as they kind of figure out mm-hmm. that that's where he's going to attack. Batman beats him up pretty fast on the roof and we don't even fully see that we just kind of see Batman coming down to let the cops know that it's been handled the last scene is Driver um, being informed that they've solved the, the thing and then he sees Batman and then he kind of like curses at him and just takes off now this will become more important a little bit more important later but I'm guessing it will become even more important towards the end of the book like Driver's attitude towards Batman because in the following arc which is called uh, DOA or no sorry Motive uh, in Motive we're continuing the story of the initial kidnapping that they were exploring in the beginning of the first book and as this this story progresses we see Driver's position towards Batman evolving not towards even a like but at one point he does summon Batman using the bat signal and they have a brief conversation. And so I think, could be wrong here, I have not read more than the first volume, but I think that as we progress in this this uh, 
this book, like we're going to see this relationship between the cops and Batman evolving into a place where they kind of understand where the other is coming from. Um, this second one motive, it, they start exploring Bonnie, the girl that disappeared. Driver is obviously dealing with the outcome of uh, his former partner being killed by Mr. Freeze. They they start chatting with the parents of Bonnie. They f- try to figure out who she was. You know, they ask about it, like, did she have any bullies? The, the mom talks about a couple of boys. They find diaries in a room. They have a bigger picture of sort of what was going on, but they do find it a little bit weird that the dad doesn't seem to know mm-hmm. a lot about anything here right uh they then go to the combs house where she used to babysit and like the father harlan is very abrasive about the police asking questions that he briefly mentions that you know like they they used to she walks by a park every day there's like a homeless guy maybe they should talk to him and you know the cops are kind of wondering like what kind of person would not be concerned about this 14 year old girl walking through the park uh at night um as they continue doing they continue on this story. They find out that Bonnie Lewis uh, is dead and had been dead before even the first ransom note had been sent. And so it wasn't a kidnapping and somebody pretending to play it off as something else. On the backdrop, on the backdrop of this, we have a series of arsons that are happening recently that people are trying to talk to, uh, trying to tie to mm-hmm. uh, Firebug, who presumably is. Yeah, I only remember her from, uh, from the DC from universe that I don't personally. What was it? The Gotham, the show Gotham, for quite a while. Um, basically, a woman oh, with really? a flamethrower. At least, well, this if one she was in, in that. In this, yes. Yeah, so that's basically who this person is. Um, they then follow up with the original Firebug, who is in this case is a man. I think it I don't was know, perhaps in, in, it was Gotham, a man originally, it was like and the then daughter the of, of of Firebug has become Firebug of the Firebug. So this must be that man. And so uh, Firebug is in uh, the like they have a conflict, and then he ends up like falling out of a, I don't know whatever floor and falling on top of a car. He's still alive. They end up questioning him, and he explains that. He sold his suit. Like, there's a lot of collectors out there that really like memorabilia of like villains that fought against mm-hmm. Batman. So he sold up his backup suit. Obviously, he he specified that it was just for collecting collectors' purposes that people shouldn't be out there using it. But so he sold it at sold it at the same time. You know, Marcus Driver and his assigned partner Romy Chandler, who he kind of seems to have like a romantic interest in, they're out there in the parks exploring to see what they can find. They're kind of getting some sense that Bonnie was a lot more complicated than her parents let on. It seems like at some point she was even dealing, but they can't figure out exactly what she was dealing. They talked to the kids that had been kind of pointed out as bullies, and it turns out that their uh, connection to Bonnie was that they wanted a batarang that she had obtained from a fight where Robin was facing off on some Zed person. Um, as a plot it continues, they, they find out that there's even like blackmail involved for some people, the pictures, and that, and as they're exploring the park, they see the Combs, the father of the, the family where they babysit, used to uh, driving by, right? And so they're trying to figure out like what was Bonnie doing exactly that put her in this precarious situation. They know that she's kind of involved with like uh, some blackmail, some, some heroic equipment, and what could it what could have been that led her to to find her uh, end and what it ends up being is that this father uh is the one actually that bought the firebug suit from the the original firebug and had a room and so she had encountered this room and then was blackmailing this man and so he takes it into his own hands and kills her to avoid 
um, I guess, you know, the consequences of this. It kind of wraps both mysteries that you have going on in a nice little bow. I think at this point in the series, like one of my main thoughts was that this comic book series is a little bit simple in terms of its mysteries. And I think perhaps in future issues, as they've already introduced Mm -hmm. the characters to get to know their nuances, that will be explored further. The next issue is already a little bit longer, a little bit more complex. And it's actually, I think from what I can tell, fairly i guess famous almost it is called half a life and it it explores renee montoya it is like uh i think from what i can from what i've seen as like a glad award winning Mm -hmm. or like you know in terms of lgbt because it, it starts off with renee montoya um she is she gets served papers so she gets served a subpoena by someone in a park for a case where this man marty lipari had stuck her with a knife and so she's already kind of confused. You know, he's talking to Chris Pasalan, who's her partner, and, and Marcus Driver about a closed case. Marcus Driver, who was obviously the, the main protagonist of the previous issue, kind of walks away. And then Chris Pasalan and Renee Montoya kind of talk about how he's kind of annoying. And I thought that was funny because now I guess we're shifting really into a different, different point of view. And um, the main part of the story ends up being that Renee Montoya, towards the end, gets outed by... Um, by someone, right? There's pictures of her kissing another woman, and I guess that was not uh, publicly known. At the same time, she is uh, in her apartment. She is, I guess, visited by Inspector Esperanza and Conway, who are from Internal Affairs, and they basically tell her that Marty Lapari, the man who stabbed her and then is serving her papers, uh, has hired some PI called Salkert, I think, to investigate her. And then she says she doesn't care, and, you know... The reason, but they explain the reason why they're visiting her is because he's now she, the Selkirk guy is now dead, and Lepari is nowhere to be found, and so they're starting mm-hmm. to tell her that she needs to be like careful and do things yeah. by the book because she's very tied into this case. Then after that, shortly after is when she gets outed. Um, she explains that that person that's in the picture with her is Daria, and then walks away without giving much more explanation. Uh, her partner Chris Pasalin, he uh, st- is trying to support her and explain that. Like there, there's tension there between the, the the secrecy about not sharing the personal stuff, um, as they try to find Lipari. In the end, Renee meets up with Daria, her partner, and then they're in this restaurant and kind of explaining, "Oh, I've just been outed," and uh, they think that it, it is Lipari that has outed them through this private investigator that they hired. Yeah, they're about to, to kiss, or I think they do kiss, I can't remember. And then Lepari jumps out of a car and is like, oh, you should do more, blah, blah. So Renee kind of lashes out and beats him up. And then the that issue ends with uh, Marty back in his apartment, and then he gets murdered. And so uh, Gotham's uh, the issue eight, you know, like where now in the thick of it, Renee Montoya is obviously the prime suspect because now she's been mm-hmm. two people that have been kind of harassing her are now showing up dead. And um, she he ha- she has a conversation with, with Chris Allen about sort of her background and why it is that she was so secretive about a lot of this stuff. You know, she explains that she comes from a religious family and that they probably would not be okay with her being a lesbian. And Christmas Allen kind of explains that he is also not her former partner. Right. And like, he has no judgment about it. And like, he just wants to be there to, to support her. And so they kind of have a nice little moment Uh, in, in their conversations. Renee Montoya also, confides that she believes that it's two-face that is setting her up um so it's 
I think the two phase mentioned to me at this point was kind of like mm-hmm. a stretch, but like I said, I think this this whole book's intention is to kind of put the big villains yeah. mixed in with the regular level cops and see how their worlds interact. Um, it does end up being uh, two face that that kidnaps her. He had kidnapped, I guess, like somebody else's kid, and then used him as a pawn to kill both the PI and Lepari, and then kidnap her. And so Montoya is able to. Uh, with the help of Batman, kind of solve her solution. You know, uh, Esperanza and the, the the internal affairs cop and Maggie Sawyer call her in. They tell her that after right. the confession of Conway, who was the other internal affairs cop who had actually his kid kidnapped, um, and coerced mm-hmm. into doing these things, and the evidence that they found from Two Face, the DA is dropping all charges against her. So this issue ends with Montoya going to visit her parents with Daria waiting outside. They argue, and then she leaves, and she is disowned by her parents, leaves with Daria, crying in Daria's arms, and that's kind of the end of this this arc of uh, that Rekka takes on. The last issue that I read is a one standalone issue. Right. It is kind of from the perspective of a civilian that works within the Gotham Central Police Department. Um, Stacy, she is the main character of this issue. She kind of... Uh, shows off little vignettes here and there mm-hmm. of the variety of cops and the secrets and sort of that they keep to each other, like the different interactions. I think, again, it's also meant to explore these characters further and kind of showcase some of their like mm-hmm. smaller nuances that have not yet been been explored. Um, that's kind of like where I ended wrapping up. I do hope that in the future yeah. there's like kind of like bigger, deeper arcs. Um, these ones all felt short. I think like the best... One was Half a Life, which is the Rene Montoya one that was written by Greg Rucka. Um, I think that was definitely the strongest right. one, and it was four issues or five issues, I think. So I hope that they do more of that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it was interesting. I mean, like, and it, I'm more of a novice in the DC world, so sometimes when I see these, yeah. like the smaller villain, like Mr. Freeze, I think everybody <laughs> knows from his Arnold Schwarzenegger heyday, and obviously Two Face. You can either have your options, or you can go the Aaron Eckhart or the Tommy. Jones wrote, but like somebody like Firebug or some of these other smaller ones that I was like, these were all absolutely new to me, and yeah. I, I didn't. Have, fortunately, you know, you don't require too much knowledge. But it was it was great. I think it was a great setup. Um, it's very line yeah. order meets superheroes, but it has the same pitfalls of line order in that you know, like if you're say introducing four characters or three char- new characters in an arc. And one of those has to be the villain. It's not like a major mystery, right? Like, it's like in the first one, your options were... Or sorry, the case of Bonnie, your options were like the dad, her dad, the dad from the babysitting thing, or the homeless person. And that was about it. And it's like pretty clear once the dad from the babysitting thing shows up again that he's going to be the culprit. Now, I think there was like an additional twist that, you know, she was like involved in this kind of more sinister stuff and then he ended up being like that that villain and so that's why it happened but that's kind of like i think the downfall so far for me with gotham central that if you're trying to solve these mysteries and you're limited in the amount of characters that you can introduce each time then you know it's going to be that one and so it's like i hope that they have more like longer arcs that kind of are more interweaved with each other Mm -hmm. so that they can introduce some throwaway characters in a more subtle way than just being like (laughs) issue one these are your suspects issue two it was the the blessing and the curse of reading them all back to back in a in a trade is that you know you've read one you'll have introduced your your four possibly four it's a month later you're going to find out some extra mm-hmm. bit of information rather than a minute right. or two later when you turn the page. You're like, oh, that's true. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I agree. I mean, that's obviously different reading it uh, as a monthly collector than a just all collected one in one trade. But I do hope that I, I mean, nothing that I read so yeah. far, I would ever qualify as anything close to bad. It is very well written. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of hoping that like the mystery element that kind of is intended to drag you along for some of these two just gets a little bit stronger so that you're not immediately knowing like what the solution to the answer is, right? Like even the fir- in the first uh, arc with Mr. Freeze, like he had like one line about education and then that was like the the thing that was solved in the next issue because and and there's no payoff either because like batman just beats him up but it's like it it was never really about that but as we carry forward and we know these characters more and we're able to do more with the series i'm kind of hoping that they will not you know they will be able to build i was surprised to to hear batman come up so much we'll see i i mean it makes sense i guess you know he's there flying around all the time uh, but you know I was thinking it'd be more like, I mean, hopefully in better quality because the show Gotham wasn't great, but more like, oh, at least also in that it was a prequel. But it's sort of like, oh, Batman, Batman is there. He's off, off doing doing this and that. Let's just focus mm-hmm. on, especially because you said Jim, Jim Gordon's not in it. You'd be thought it'd be, oh, these totally unrelated Batman crimes. So I was, yeah, surprised to hear that big hitters like Mr. Yeah. Reason Two-Face made an appearance quite early on. Although perhaps that that's maybe a case to get more people in to read it. I don't know. Yeah, and that, that also that Batman himself was in it more than. There's a cool thing that they talk about too, where they say that nobody from the Gotham Central Police Department can be the one that activate mm-hmm. the bat, um, the bat signal, because they have to have a degree of deniability of, like you know they can't yeah. be not only acknowledging but also endorsing batman coming in and being a people and so stacy who is a civilian that works at uh, gotham central she's often the one that ends up turning up the bat signal um i know the commissioner does it sometime but at one point uh drive marcus driver he wants to do it and he's told no and then later on he does do it and towards the end of the second arc just to tell Batman's like, hey, we solved it and we didn't need you. And then Batman was He's like, like, you made me come all the I way mean, over here to stand on this roof. Basically. He's like, I, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, I'm busy, I'm doing things. And but he does say something like, oh, some some kind comment. And then, like I said, I feel I feel like they're trying to develop Driver Marcus Driver from starting from a very a place of animosity towards like vigilante Batman's into understanding kind of the balance where yeah, they they're turning lie into show and, now, aren't they? Because there's going to be a, a Gotham Central spin-off to that new the new Robert Pattinson Batman movie on HBO Max. I think so. I think Is that's true. true? <laughs> Gotham. Oh God, I'm so happy that I'm reading this Gotham now. I'm Central like on the ball. HBO Max. Here we go. Gotham Central co-creator told Oh, I guess it does exist. Hang on, these I need to make my window bigger. Just like the T, just like the Suicide Squad will be getting a TV spin-off on HBO Max starring the Peacemaker, the Batman will be getting an HBO spin-off uh Gotham Central. Nice. I'm excited. I guess Sorry, I was just reading not, it too. I think it's Gotham Central by name, uh not in terms of subject matter, although I guess there's only so much only so much it can differ in the fact that it's police in Gotham. But not about Batman directly. Are you looking forward to that that Batman film? By any chance? Yeah, I like it. Seems like I 
to be honest, I like the Riddler. Like, I don't like the Riddler. Here's the thing. When I saw it, I loved the Riddler by Jim Carrey. I think revisiting now as an adult, I would maybe have different questions. But I like conceptually, like, the more... The, the villains that lead Batman into doing more detective work than the ones that require him to kind of, you know, blunt force or technology-driven solutions, right? So I think the the Riddler as an as a nemesis for this movie is very interesting to me. And to be honest, I'm a big fan of Robert Pattinson and his post-Twilight work. I think both Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart have done a good job <laughs> of shaking off the stink of the end of the Twilight franchise. And I don't even say this in any way disparaging of people who like, like you know, female-driven or oriented literature, because I'm sure that it could have been a good enough movie, but it was not, I think, objectively. So the, that animatronic <laughs> of that baby haunts me. Anyways, these, the, I like both of them as actors, so I'm good. excited for Robert Pattinson. That's the, it'll be different, I hope. Different enough. Because they're still they you know they're sticking with the grim and gritty because of course they are that's Batman these days but hopefully it'll be different enough from I think Batman Begins the most grim and gritty of the of the of the previous trilogy yeah it'll be good yeah I I don't understand what the overall plan is like are we committing to this uh like universe with Momoa and henry cavill or have we abandoned it like i don't understand what i wish they would just explain to me how i'm supposed to approach these things because i don't have a strong feeling either way like you can relaunch it you can make them independent movies you can continue the universe i just think it's going because they're making the flash which has got ezra miller in it and ben affleck as as batman so Mm -hmm. they're clearly sticking with that it's also got michael keaton in right but I think it also has, yeah, I was going to say it has a different Batman, right? So I guess they're Yeah, I think up they're going to go with Flashpoint too. there and be like, and at the end, oh, Ben Affleck's not Batman anymore. Look, it's, it's, it's Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Or they'll just be like, oh, it doesn't matter. We'll just make you know films that aren't related, which I'm also on board with. Yeah, I think it's almost better because I was going to say, like, I think the most, like, alienating feature of comic books is that it is, like, a soap opera that has Mm -hmm. been going on now for 60 years. So for people that are trying to jump on, like, it's very difficult to do that. And now with the Marvel Universe, like, it's a story that has been going on for, like, 24 movies. I don't know how many movies at this point. So it's cool because if you're invested and you've seen all these, like... You can pull from that story, but if you have not and you want to jump in, it's really, really hard. So I almost think it's better if they just do it. Yeah, I think especially. I think it's a tough jug, isn't it? Because something like Shang Chi, I'm pretty sure you could watch with no, absolutely no idea who anybody was, because everyone that was new, apart from Wong, I guess, and Abomination and and such. But I mean, they were in it literally for seconds. That'd be a an all right film, yeah. If you're something. If you're going into the Avengers, they're definitely going to be like, what? Who? Nah, I guess mm-hmm. We'll see. Because I think yeah. Yeah, the MCU is in a phase of rebirth, I suppose, is a is a, is a good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Otherwise, Batman's for everybody. Be, you've got your Ben Affleck, if you like, your angry Batman that kill people. You've got your Michael Keaton's, if you prefer your old old Batman. And then you'll have your, your Robert Patton's, mm-hmm. if you prefer... You're young, you're young Batman, and they've released the his Batmobile looks cool. I mean, I saw they've announced they have released the uh, the Lego sets. It looks like a normal car, and I'm I'm on board for that. We've had yeah, we've had the had that thing. We had like the the, the, the fish looking one from 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 Val Kilmer and George Clooney. 
So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good time, as always, for people who like superhero content. Can't escape it now. It, it makes too much money. It's always been. That is, like, I feel like people keep on saying, like, oh, the fatigue. It's like, we've had this fatigue, if it's any mm-hmm. fatigue, for the last 20 years. So at this point, you can either jump on or no, pretend to ignore it. But Unless, it's not going away. I don't know. There'd have to be some absolutely abysmal. Like, they'd have to... The MCU would have to release like four or five appalling movies in a row for people to be like, maybe, maybe not. But that's not happening. So get ready for Avengers <laughs> Avengers 9. I don't know. It'll be Avengers versus X-Men by then. So I'll be, I'll, I'll still be there. So that's all right yeah, to I me. Know. There is nothing more exciting and terrifying to me than the idea of bringing in the X-Men into the MCU at this point. It's just like, I don't know what the plan is. Like, I don't understand if you're going to bring them in already established. I don't know if you want to start, like, your original five. How do you make the distinction between the X-Men being discriminated Mm -hmm. against when people love the Avengers? Like, I... There's so many questions that I don't know how they tackle. I'm sure they have talented people, but at this point, I just want to know. Well... I think, we, I think we mentioned it before. They, they, they have to pick the, the real grotesque X-Men, the real awful-looking ones, to be like... And then they can, from there, mm-hmm. bring yeah. out... But then it's just going to be like, oh. For sure. You're going to get the, the inevitable retcon. Oh, Scarlet yeah. Witch was a mutant all along. Look, we we fixed it, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but they retconned her out of being not being a mutant in the main comic book universe, so they'll, I don't know. They'll, they'll, they'll bring back that is. Inhuman show uh, that lasted one season. They'll, they'll. Oh, I, I, I did, did see, because, but I kind of so wanted to. I have some sort of, I, I guess, problem. It's, oh, oh, it says MCU on it. I must. It, it'll link in some way. Listen, I would wanted to see it mostly just for Lockjaw. Yeah, he I was in like, it. Giant dog. Did they have he was him? In it I don't know because I. But yeah, I, giant else, I mean, if, if you want that, then then I think you'll be fine. Uh, if you want coherent plot quality, uh, <laughs> it, that yeah. may be the only oh, thing. I mean, Black Bolt got, didn't right. speak. I mean, there you go. That, that was enough. something else. I can't remember. Does he get to now. speak? At the I remember the thing I remember the, the most is they shaved Medusa's hair at one point. That was what they did to her as like the bad guys. And they were like, "Oh no, look! Oh no, she can't use their powers anymore." Not what great. were the so effects probably, like, like, like? Here we go. We're going to shave your hair off. We're yeah. going to make it part of the story. But also, <laughs> it's a lot cheaper now if you just fight with your fists like a normal person. Uh-huh. We don't have to buy any bad no. wigs or use CGI. Had Anson Mount in it. Anson Mount was Black Bolt. Which, if you're going to cast cast an actor that doesn't speak, really? I mean, <laughs> and I think. Was it the guy from uh, yep. Misfits yeah. and uh, Randy Bolton from Game of Thrones? Yep. That was the brother, I think. Well, they, was can, I'm sure it's was? on Disney yeah. Plus now. <laughs> yeah, I'll check it out at some point. Like, I know it's not great, but, you know, I'm still kind that's of right. trash that's for watching these trash I, shows. I get my fix from, from the CW. Um, it's, it's been too long now. I mean, season six of Supergirl, <laughs> I've watched it for six years. I'll watch, I'll watch, I'll watch this final season. Listen. I have no explanation or justification as to why I am currently watching season eighteen. I think of Grey's Anatomy. Why have I continued with this show? I I want like it's funny because it's like I want nothing more than them to cancel this show because I just can't stop. It's like I The Walking need, Dead. They, they keep announcing these Walking Dead spin-offs, and it's like okay, the main show is on its final season. There's this Walking Dead Beyond. Oh, they're gonna make a whole new show about just Daryl and Carol. It's like okay, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be there as well, mm-hmm. just in case. 
it, it might be good. <laughs> you go in with that sort of expectation. <laughs> set us uh, free. Please. I can set you free from a PhD student reads now. Um, you, you can you can follow the show <laughs> on Twitter at oh, PhD you. Reads. You can follow Rodrigo at R Cockting at Layered Butter. No, Layered Underscore Butter. Got that right this time. On Twitter, Layered Underscore Butter. Is there anything exciting Instagram, on the Layered Button? Layered Butter front. We are coming back soon as a podcast form, which is taking a long break. I think we are starting our preliminary chats next week, and then, you know, we should uh, start soon thereafter. But we also uh, have a bunch of issues on our store that you can buy. If you're into Bond, we have an issue that's printed. Mm -hmm. If you're into Nolan, we are down to our last 50 issues of our run, after which we will be sold out. And Mm -hmm. then after that, we might be able to print some other ones. Modern Horror, Studio Ghibli, the other ones that we have. I am awaiting my Bond print to arrive i see people on i see people on twitter are getting theirs now oh Admittedly, yes. mine has slightly further to come but no no you what you're seeing you're seeing people their little small version that comes with a book yours is a full on poster which we have not shipped out so nobody <laughs> right. should have It'll be a nice day, so we'll you know as soon as we're shipping them um yeah we're just waiting for the tubes to come in to ship them because we did. It was, I guess, like a different shipping materials than mm-hmm. we typically have for our books, which is just kind of standard packaging. Posters require something different, Ooh. so I think that should be arriving today, actually. And we I'll be here. I'm always here. I don't go anywhere. There you go. There you go. I'll probably put it. Yeah, right really here. It. You can't great. see right here, but there's an empty space <laughs> over there is filled with with PhD rubbish, so it can't go over there. Yeah, you can recommend the show again to people on the street. Friends, enemies, family members, who could also be friends and enemies, I suppose. Um, anyone. Teachers. Students. I'm on this internship thing at the moment. Admittedly, I feel like it would be a bit incorrect if I was to, at the end of my lectures, just for, oh, also, <laughs> you like comic books. Uh, uh, listen to this. Although I have been shoehorning in my interests into these clinical biochemistry PowerPoints to uh, at least get some sort of fulfilment out of it beyond beyond teaching. Um, yeah, this has been PhD Student Reads episode 20. Episode 21 next month. Look forward for, to a, a very easy if this PhD, uh, if this podcast was a human being uh, insert. I've been Daniel Underwood. That's been Rodrigo Cockting. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>